Okay, there we are. Sounds like I'm on. I'm wired. <laughs> so, the advent of joy. Oh, got a different uh, overhead up there. Awesome. The advent of joy. So, we've been covering the four themes of Advent. I'm not going to ask you if you remember them, but I'm going to tell them to you. Hope, uh, joy, love, and peace. And we're going to be covering joy. Now, it just happens to be that the Lord has given me much joy today, but that is uh, beside the point. (laughs) It goes right along with it. I want you to turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Turn in your Bibles. How many of you love the Word of God? You know, so I try to do my best to preach on it, but the best thing you can ever do is just read it straight straight as Jesus gave it, and that is right out of the book. So I want to encourage you to keep reading your Bibles, keep believing your Bibles, keep behaving your Bibles. Amen? Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11 says this, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Amen? I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You know, I was reading something today that got my attention. And it's, it, this is the impression, I can't give you the exact words, but the impression of it was this, that God wanted us to know that there was no way for us to secure our own salvation. And He showed it to us in bringing, coming down on earth But not only did He do it in coming to earth, but He did it in the way He came down. And so we can't even begin to really fathom in our finite minds an infinite God whom the universe cannot contain can somehow be housed in the body of a little baby. I mean, nobody asked you to figure that one out. But when we think about that, what it says to the world is this. It says... I want you to think about whatever may be your doubts, whatever may give you reason to think that God may be overlooking you, God may not be really interested. The world needs it right now. The world has always needed this. We get stuck in our struggles of life and we miss that God made sure. Because you have to set it up against Jesus was born. God came in flesh and He came to meet me. In his flesh. What can't God do? After you see this miracle, what can't God do? So here we have Jesus being born, and it should reflect on man. And so I can think of sin, my sin, and how much of it is a struggle. I'll tell you what, it's a struggle when you actually get to see and feel the conviction of your own sin. And I'm sure you all can testify with me. When you're like, I see my sin. And I see how unworthy I am. I see how I don't deserve an ounce of mercy. I don't deserve an ounce of grace. I'm totally beside myself and not worthy of an ounce. And before you know it, it's like life just got more difficult. And then I look at this. Then I see this. I see how much God was willing to go out of His way to prove to me that He was going to do whatever it took to help me out of that problem. Sin became a whole new thing. Right? 
God must be willing to forgive me. Because you might ask yourself, if Jesus had not come, if Jesus had not been born, you could ask yourself the question and reason with yourself on it. I don't know that I have any evidence that God wants to forgive me. I don't know that I have any evidence that God wants to recreate me. I don't know that God wants to remake me. Reshape me into the purpose for which I was created to begin with. I don't know that, I don't know that there is a God. I don't know that I believe that this God really exists or that He really cares. Well, you need to stop looking inside your situation and start looking again at the birth of Jesus. Back in history, He already took and He made the way. And everyone who believes, it doesn't say those who don't believe, for everyone who believes, He's given power to become the sons of God. We get to enter in simply because we believe. But the people who stand on the outside, I don't believe. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe it's possible. I still struggle to believe. You'll stay on the outside until you learn to trust that what God gave you is good enough. And do we need anything more? Ultimately, do we need any more than just the birth of Jesus alone? I want to talk about a few things this morning. I want to talk about three things. One is the substitute of joy. What is the substitute of joy? I want to share with you what I believe is the definition of joy and what defines it. And lastly, the contrast of joy. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 11, it says, There be great joy to all people. Great joy to all people. Let me give you a bad definition of joy. I believe a definition that if we could, again, as I did last week, sum up what we're feeling in the world, what we sense in the world, what we get out of the news, what our culture is trying to tell us, and all of those things, we would say something like this. At least I would. Joy is when a person overcomes the guilt imposed on them by adhering to moral and religious institutions. It comes by freeing the conscience from what is referred to as, a moral, as moral objectives, but is really an oppressive system made by those who want to control you. Real joy lies behind the need to be liberated from suppressing your true self. The more free you are to determine your own standard and values, the better you will know joy. This is what we're this is the idea to some degree. I think this would be a bad definition, but this is essentially what you and I, as we are coming to find out what is God's definition of joy? What is the Christmas definition of joy in light of this cultural that keeps telling us to be true to ourselves, to make yourself the ultimate end of life, find a way to make yourself ultimately happy in life. And what we've done is it traded out the what is really the purpose of life is not me. The purpose of life is the joy of satisfying and glorifying God. And I love how he's put all of this together because really the moral makeup of our being is never really engaged in joy until we find God as the ultimate end for our life. Until it is our joy to know that no matter what I deal with on the face of this earth, that God gets the praise. See, when we pray for our neighbors, when we pray for friends and unconverted and unsaved sinners. We should be thinking of this, Lord, what would bring you the joy this Christmas season? What would be honoring and praiseworthy to your name? Even if I'm not getting what I was wanting, what are you going to get? 
And in the long run, it's that that should be the culture of the church. We have a current uh, culture, and the, the current of our culture says something like this. The, atmer- the atmosphere is charged with opportunity, and the masses are conditioned to be wow. Get ready to go viral. Jump at your chance to be discovered. We do not know where this is headed or where it will come to. But that seems to be of no consequence for those who are profiting from this trend. Hurry to it before the the blinders are taken off. Our culture is saying something we, we have never been faced with in our lifetime. A culture where YouTube and Facebook and everything that's media stream We don't watch movies anymore. Our young people aren't watching two-hour movies. They're watching ten-minute slides of videos constantly before their faces for hours and being entertained by that. And, and, And what's mesmerizing them is that they could be the next viral person who hits the face of popularity. And so if you put out a YouTube video, just one video, and all of a sudden the world goes berserk over it, You can all of a sudden become popular and rich over just having the fame of the world and the recognition. So the culture is screaming to us. And you look at it, and really what's happening, whether we realize it or not, but we're slowly ourselves, even our churches, are getting involved in this. And what we're doing is we want to be wowed by the next uh, America's great talent. We want to be wowed by the next uh, amazing thing that's happening. And we want a 10-minute wow, and we want it over and over and over again. We are all about excitement in our life and in our culture. And so what they're telling you is is that we don't know where this is going and it doesn't matter. Just figure out, get in on your opportunity or you're going to miss it. We wouldn't want Joe next door getting his chance at life when you missed yours. So throw throw a video out there. Do something remarkable. Get known. You know, one of these big YouTubers, uh, Mr. Beast, I'm just going to bring it up. And this is what's interesting about what he does. He, he makes who knows how much money and he spends millions of dollars to make a new video and giving it away to people. They'll have things where they will stay all night or they'll have some, something they'll be touching and, and the last person, they'll have over 100 people touching it, the last person that's done touching it gets the million dollars or the however much money he's got for them. And they will try and stay up all night and all those other things in order to do this. And it's wowing the popular Billions of people are entertained by it. But the problem is, it's not the Word of God. It's not the message that God is sending to the world. It's not anything like it. And so interestingly, there's a happiness, there's a joy, there's a flocking of population. And Jesus said it well when He said this, many are on the road. There's broad is the path that leads to destruction. And many are on it. Not because they're watching this stuff. It's because that's instead of. That's the substitute for joy. The joy of the Lord. Go through your Bibles. I would would say this, brothers and sisters. Go through your Bibles and highlight. Find those verses on joy. Reminisce on those verses on joy. And you will find that there's not an ounce of what the world is doing fitted into it. All of it comes from a different source. But why do I have to say this? Because this Christmas season, whether you like it or not, this is what we're facing. This is the kind of temptation that's running all over the world. It's finding its way into our homes and our lives. 
and we don't even know hardly what to do it with it. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to say is, is make sure when you think about what God wants for your life, make sure you're apprehending no substitute. Do not run after a substitute. Don't be filtering in. Don't miss your opportunities to be with Jesus because you're getting a substitute. And we should know our adversary, the devil, he makes good substitutes. He makes substitutes. He would be wasting his time to give us something that didn't get us wowed, didn't awe us. But that's why Jesus is calling us on another path, a narrow path. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 21 says this, Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. But the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. I love the, one of the best, my, one of my favorite verses. I know I told you last week and the week before that, but this is another one of my favorite verses in the book of James. He says, It's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. It's a sad world we're living in who thinks that we can live any way we want and God will apply His promises to that lifestyle. It says, The righteous. They have the seal. They can get the expectation. In the book of James, he says, let not that man, the person who does not come with faith, let not that man think to receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. God is not offering it to anyone and everyone in that sense. It's exclusive on the grounds that we come with faith and we come on righteous grounds. That's why we repent of our sins. That's why we get things right with God. That's why we agonize and grieve when the Holy Spirit is saying, wrong, don't do that, don't live that way, don't act that way. And you feel the conviction of God and you never get peace until you surrender. And then when we surrender, wow, it flows. The river flows. The presence of God just comes in the door. I didn't even open the door and God just flows in. That's what we need for our generation of brothers and sisters. When the church gets together, the devil goes wild. The substitute for joy oftentimes, sadly to say, is acceptance. We want acceptance so badly that we will throw away the joy of the Lord so that we can have acceptance. I want to share a few things with you on that thought. Hunger for acceptance makes us victims to our insecurities. Can I say that one more time? Hunger for acceptance makes us victim to our insecurities. It should be up there. Yep. I felt like the Holy Spirit cultivated that this week while I was thinking on this. We become a victim to the insecurities of our life and we're running around trying to figure out how to be secure, how to get acceptance, how to feel like people love me and feel like I'm honored and, and worthy and cherished. And here's the thing, if nobody, please listen to me, if nobody in the world loves you, if nobody cares about you, you're on good grounds. Paul the Apostle said, all men have forsaken me. All forsaken me. Jesus 
hanging on the cross. He said, Father, why have You forsaken Me? There's no forsaking that's greater than what Jesus endured. But look here. It's not the rush for acceptance that hung Jesus on the cross. It was There was a world dying in sin and God wanted to minister to it. Isn't that amazing? So, I don't have to find security in anywhere else, but find my security in Jesus. I think that's what draws us to a place, not drags us, but draws us to a prayer closet. Is because when I get there, it may not be the first minute, but somewhere along my time and spending my time with the Lord, I flourish. I flourish in the love of Jesus. I flourish in the grace of God. I flourish because I find that it's as if the Lord is saying, the world is renouncing you. You're an offscurring to the world. You're like sheep as to the slaughter as far as the world is concerned. But in me, well done, you good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Number two, hunger for acceptance blinds us to the pretense or false hope in schemes around us. Hunger for acceptance blinds us to the pretenses around us. If we can get somebody to accept us, we will not look at the smoke behind the mirrors here. We'll not see what's really going on. How many of us have been subject to and sometimes violated by what seems like the deal that's too good to be true and find out that we were so wrong about it? Hunger for acceptance competes with our obligation for duty. We neglect what we're supposed to because of being fear of being rejected. Do you understand the joy of the Lord is beyond this? That's why we, talk, we have to talk about, some, at some point, we have to talk about the transcendency of the nature of God. The transcendency of what God can do in a human being. We have to talk about it. We have to do that or else we spend too much time comparing what we're dealing with with all the other things that don't have any transcendent nature to them. How is it that I can have joy? How is it that the Apostle James can say, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing the trying of your faith works patience. How can he say that? How can Paul talk about Jesus, his sufferings as being the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus. How can he say, I would rather suffer that the power of Christ may rest upon me unless he's tapped into the transcendent nature of God and he's living on heavenly realms and, he's, and God is operating with him and on him and, and through him and he's finding in the nature of God something that he doesn't have in himself but God is supplying it. One of my favorite verses, again, we're going to go there. One of my favorite verses is God working in us, both the will and the do of His good pleasure. God working in us. Brothers and sisters, it delights my heart to see you. It delights my heart to see you learning to just, Lord, here I am. I don't know what to do about this. I, don't, I can't conquer anything. I'm not a warrior in myself. But Jesus, I belong to you. I'm all yours. Whatever you want to do, I'm all yours. I trust you with my life. I trust you to guide my life. I trust you. And there you find all the joy you will ever need. It's amazing. The disciples, after they had been beaten, went and leaped for joy 
count, that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. What do we do with rejection? We hang our heads down and we walk away. And, and we're a disciple of the Lord. We are created. In his, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Find the promises of God. And ask yourself this question, is God unfaithful? Not on your life. Not on your life. Don't bury yourself in unbelief. Substitutes for joy will redefine joy. Substitutes for joy will redefine joy. Here's one that I've been feeling like, God, I don't know why, but the Lord has had this on my heart. And I feel like the Lord's saying to me, James, do not get deceived by optimism. And that does not mean, and I want you to hear me very carefully, I do not mean that God is telling us not to, to try and find the best that we can. But the last thing on earth Jesus is telling us to do is to substitute something and say, well, I guess it's okay or it's good despite whatever it really is. Optimism is not the way to go. Faith is the way to go. Optimism is the devil's substitute for joy. Optimism is expectation from imagination or hope from reimagination. I want to say that clearly. Optimism is expectation from our imagination. So I'm expecting something because I'm imagining that it could be good. I'm imagining something could work out. Or hope from reimagining. So I'm just now taking something that is bad or it didn't turn out good or whatever, and I'm reimagining it and thinking of it as in a different way. But notice the word to capture here is imagination. Optimism, for the most part, is based on imagination. Now, I won't say there's not a biblical optimism in the sense that God has given us His Word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. But then I wouldn't call it optimism. I would call it faith. God gave me a revelation and I believe it. I don't have to just be optimistic. I'm not imagining something. It's more true than the ground I stand on. God can literally speak something into existence. One moment it's not there, the next it is. So if He all of a sudden revealed something to me, whether I get to see it in the moment or not, it's true. So optimism oftentimes is the lottery of what could be or what could have been. It's the lottery idea. And maybe it'll work out. Hopefully it will. I'm going to keep hoping that it's going to. Well, some people's lives are absolutely devastated because they've replaced the hope of joy with optimism of something that's going to keep going wrong. Let me give you an example. If I drive my car down the road and I see that the needle is on empty and I'm optimistic, I'm optimistic that my car that doesn't normally get better than 12 miles a gallon is going to somehow get 30 miles a gallon and I'm optimistic that I'm going to be able to make it from here to Boise. Right? And then something bad happens. Well, I just got disappointed. Well, here's the problem. When we replace faith in God with optimism in God, we miss the whole boat. Jesus didn't call us to optimism. He didn't call us to say, well, if I hope that what God said will actually happen. we got to either look at God, you're either faithful or you're not, and now I'm going to look at 
what is the Holy Spirit establishing? And the issue with this is, is it me trying to interject my will into the Word of God, or is it me trying to get the Word of God to change my will? The way that I see things. So is Jesus in Lord? Is, is He Lord? Or is it that my hope is Lord? What I'm hoping for. When Jesus speaks to the human spirit, when the spirit bears witness with our spirit, we have God revealing something to us. That's where you substantiate your faith. When we read the Bible, we're praying, Holy Spirit, make the words that Jesus said, make them alive and divinely imparted into my spirit so that I'm not just of my human initiative trying to throw something into the Word of God that doesn't belong there. Because that's where we get false doctrine. That's where we get teachers giving us everything under the sun. And we got these million dollar men that are in front of a television screen telling you if you give your money to their million dollar home that you will be blessed by God. It's not in the Bible, folks. And then when we either get our joy off of some fool's manipulation that doesn't have any grounds on what Jesus said, and then we get, or then we lose hope based on it, it's simply because we tried to integrate into the Bible something that God never said. And then we wonder why we have no joy. Why do we have no joy of the Lord? Jesus said, my joy I give unto you, not as this world gives. Not as this world gives. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this, the very nature of joy makes nonsense of our common dis distinction between having and wanting. Oh, I love that. The very nature of joy makes nonsense of our common distinction between having and wanting. So let me give you a definition of joy. I just defined for you what it's not. Let's help you see what it is, I pray. Lord, bless us. Joy is the lasting effects of the unchangeable realities of God. Can I say that again? I only got two yeses. I guess I can. Can I say that again? Yes, yes. Amen. Joy is the lasting effects of the unchangeable realities of God. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. I love this. God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should repent. Has He said and will He not do? Has He spoken and will He not make it good? Oh, brothers and sisters, please vest that verse into your life. Look at God through the lens of that verse. It's an amazing, amazing verse. See, this is the thing we have to understand. When God fails one time, when God fails to deliver His promises based on His conditions, then the whole integrity of God is wiped off the face of the earth. He has none. So God has to be perfectly faithful as He has deemed and given the conditions of such a thing. So imagine we get in the stream and we start reading the Bible and we find the promise of God. Lord, Your Word tells me that You're a sun and shield and no good thing. No good thing will You withhold from those that walk uprightly. 
And we start interpreting that through the eyes of our flesh. And we live any way we want. Well, sadly, I'm going to tell you, God is going to let you down on that one. Because He never gave you the promise to live like a sinner and say, Lord, you have to be faithful. God wants His claims on your life. And as we surrender to Him and we grab that promise, it says the Lord is a sun and shield and no good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Lord Jesus, that's a challenge today. Father, I want a holy life. Jesus, I want to be pure, but I want to be pure this way. I want to be pure from a reflection of the light of Jesus at work in me in morning, evening, and night. Lord, I don't want You to let me alone. God, I want to be with You 24-7. Lord, hold me. God, help me. God, supply to me. God, be my strength. Lord, be my everything. Jesus, and out of that, let the holiness that comes from the infusion of Your presence change me. And then we have these promises, and then we start praying them in the Holy Ghost. And we have this joy as in the, as the lasting effect of the unchangeable realities of God. We find that God is not a man that He should lie nor repent. I don't know what your struggles are, but I can say this, that you have to come face to face with that. Imagine one day at the judgment seat, somebody says, well, Lord, look, you failed. You didn't do what you said you'd do. Really? <laughs> so I want to compare these definitions of joy. Joy is one. It could be the joy, the liberation to determine our own fluctuating standards, or joy enter into the unchangeable realities of God. Joy enter into the unchangeable realities of God. And this is what I would say. I would say, here's the reason why, this, here's why I pray this way. Lord, I believe today you want to impart to me the grace of the revelation of your word in a way that uh, is beyond just natural thinking. Beyond just my human frame, I, want, I believe you want to reveal to my spirit the promises of God like I've never experienced them in my life. But I believe you want to do that because, Jesus, you came and you made the sacrifices appropriate so that you could be glorified through my life. Lord, I'm, I'm not good enough on my own, but you're good enough. I want to pray this for your namesake. Psalm 21, verse 6 says this. I love this. I've been reading this verse and praying over it. I caught this. It says, For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. You know, my wife and I, when we were early married, and we still do this to one another, we say, I love you more. And then the other one will usually reply, I love you most. And when I think of this verse, he's most blessed forever. My joy is this, is that, you know, truthfully, I can't say that I'm more blessed than you, but I feel more blessed because I don't live in your blessing, but I live in mine. I live in the one that God gave me. I'm living in the light of what he's done in my soul. I'm living in the joy of knowing that I'm not in the guilt of my sins and that I've shared in the blessedness of his forgiveness and his spirit bears witness with my spirit. And that joy is so much that I look over humanity and I feel like I'm the most blessed of everybody in this room. I, I can't imagine being more blessed than I am. And it's not the money that I have. It's not the home that I have. It is what God has deposited in my spirit and I can't hardly put it in words. And you have made Him exceedingly glad with your presence. I don't know about you, but I know me. 
My, my happiest moments are in the presence of God. My greatest, my greatest moments in the presence of God. Man, things change just in His presence. I was reminded this week of uh, this testimony by Bruce Venata, Venata. I'm not sure if I'm saying it quite right, but it is one of the most remarkable testimonies. Look up this testimony by of Bruce Venata. And, it's, and the story tells of uh, a, a diesel mechanic, a diesel semi-truck mechanic. And he was working on the semi-truck and it was jacked up and one tire was out from under the, the truck. And he got underneath the truck and when he did, that jack slipped out from under the truck and the whole axle came, like as he says in the testimony, like a blunt guillotine that came down and crushed him. He said that there was only like two inches from the axle to the floor. And as he shares this testimony, he said like all of his vitals were just crushed by it. He said five major arteries were severed. And, and he, as, when he tells his testimony, he said that they had done a study to find out if there was anybody else that had ever had five major arteries that had, had been severed and yet lived. And he was the only one that had out of all the studies ever done. He said, yeah, I should have just bled and dead, bled to death right there on the spot. And then he shares this story, such an amazing story, as he's there and, and God is sparing his life miraculously. Um, they're at the point of multiple surgeries, but the problem is, is that he's losing weight so quickly, so quickly that he's going to die from weight loss. And he says that he couldn't hold in the nutrients that they were trying to feed him. Amazingly, he said he met this guy one time from New York City. And the guy was woke up by God. How many of you believe God wakes you up? Hallelujah for that, right? Woke up by God, came and visited him. I don't know where he was in the hospital. And he said he came and he prayed over him. And he said he put his hand on him and he prayed in the name of Jesus that God would revitalize his inward parts, bring him back to life. And he said, he said it felt like 220 volts just hit me in the forehead and started working its way through my body. And in his intestines, he said... Uh, they were completely crushed, but God had miraculously regrown, I think it was nine feet of intestines, half the amount of the normal intestines in a body, but worked twice as good. <laughs> and he said his spleen and his, his inner parts of his body were just revitalizing. That man, God had brought him from that to a ministry of healing and sharing God's power over the world. That's... Christmas. It's the resurrection, but it's Christmas. You understand? That's the joy of the Lord. I can imagine as he's sharing again and again a testimony that never loses its weight, never loses its value to a world that says, I've been sick and I prayed and nothing happened. And then he shares something and God revitalizes faith and gives people hope from something that's nothing. I've also been blessed by, I don't I can't pronounce his last name, but his first name, Nick. V, v something or another. And he has no arms, no legs, and he shared among high schools what God did to bring him out of depression and hope. And man, you can't have somebody that's sitting on a podium like this on a table with no legs that's sharing about you the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and tell me that you can't have joy. Right? He's obviously got something that I haven't. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it, Lord Jesus. Amen? Even the hope of an experience or of a miracle does not define joy. A miracle enhances it, but it doesn't define it. 
I may not have a miracle, but that doesn't mean I have to be without joy. Miracles are not ultimate. The resurrection is. Miracles are not ultimate. The resurrection is. So the contrast of joy. I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 16, 19-20. I might get to preaching here in a minute. I might just get to preaching. John chapter 16, verses 19 through 20. I want to stir your hearts to pray this morning. I want to stir your hearts to expect from God. Are you there? John 16, verses 19 through 20. Not 1 John, because 1 John doesn't have chapter 16. Now Jesus knew what they desired to ask Him. And He said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Sam Storm says this, Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. It is the presence of God. Depression is the soul starved of joy. It is the result of ignorance taking advantage of you. Depression is the soul starved of joy. It is the result of ignorance taking advantage of you. Now I'll say there's probably clinical depressions that fall outside of this. But for the most, our depression that we go through is because something is stopping us or preventing us from knowing the truth as Jesus knows it. I love the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. He said, Jesus says to her, if you knew who I was, you would have asked of me and I would have given you living water. You would have asked and I would have given. What he was saying is, precious woman, right as of this moment, you are ignorant of a greater truth that will absolutely transform your life. After this moment, you will know this truth. If you'll believe it, it will change you from the inside out. Ignorance is not absence of knowledge. It is the absence of needed knowledge. Needed knowledge. I remember a few years ago, I was working on my chainsaw trying to sharpen that thing. and You have to have just the right angles. Man, those guys have figured it out. It's awesome to see. And... The, pro- the end product of a sharp chainsaw is that it cuts through wood like butter. And somebody who knows how to do this and do it well. And I remember I was lacking the knowledge. I was lacking the needed knowledge for how to put this thing back, into this teeth back to being sharp again. And I remember when I finally discovered that knowledge, it changed my life. Now, I'll tell you something. It, changes, it changed my ability to cut wood. It changed what I was going to be doing from that day. If that changes that, imagine how much more so The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They do not read. They do not know the words of God for themselves. But if we could know that not only this is what Jesus said, but that Jesus cannot be unfaithful to Himself, then we have every reason to resharpen this one more time. We have one more hope that God's going to give us. And our joy shall come out of that. And so Jesus said this, your sorrow will be turned into joy. What sorrow can't be turned into joy when face to face with what Jesus has promised? Sorrow of not knowing 
blinds us to the joy of what is coming. Sorrow of not knowing blinds us to the joy of what is coming. Sorrow for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, Jesus said, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no man takes from you. Verse 22, no man takes from you. What do you possess in this world that somebody can't come in and grab and take away from you? Is there anything you possess? And this is the one thing Jesus said, this joy no one gets to have. No one gets to come and rob you of this joy. Nobody gets to come in. That means somebody can hurt you, but they don't get to take the joy of the Lord out of you. Somebody can insult you, but they don't get to take the joy of the Lord out of you. No man takes away this joy. So Jesus is saying, for the moment you have a sorrow, but when this is all said and done, the joy that I'm going to give to you that doesn't go away. So here's what I want to say. Give it back if it can be taken away. Give it back. It doesn't come from God. That kind of joy came from the devil. That joy came from the world. That joy came from some uh, substitute. But that is not from God. Give it back if it can be taken away. If your joy is based on being true to yourself, the standard of that which is being readjusted every hour, then you cannot stabilize your joy. If it's being true to myself, which is constantly being adjusted, I'm trying to figure out how to be true to myself, then you cannot stabilize that joy. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I want you to read here with me in John chapter 16, verses 23 through 24. This is the contrast of joy. The contrast is the joy the Lord gives, no man takes away. The contrast is that it's sorrow that's turned into joy. And lastly this, And in that day, verses 23 and 24, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive. And Jesus added one more beautiful thing to this. That your joy may be full. Ask that you ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Did you capture what Jesus is saying there? I want to say, let's take this promise home with us. Let's take it to the altar. Let's take it to the rest of our time here. And Jesus, you said for me to ask that my joy might be full. I just want you to analyze one thing. Just this morning, take one thing into consideration. Is your heart all out for Jesus? Are you all out for God? Because when you're asking for your joy, you're asking really, Lord, this must come to be to bring glory to Your name. That's what I rejoice in. That's what makes me so thoroughly happy. And I'm looking forward to God, You satisfying Your will by doing this. I'm overjoyed. So pray about somebody. Maybe you've got a family member and you're like, Lord, they're still lost. They're still lost in this world. We brought up somebody today that out of rebellion is lost to the will of God. Lord, out of that your hand is not short that it cannot save. Your ear is not heavy that you cannot hear. Lord, they're so lost they're not even looking. They're so lost that they're not even asking. 
But Lord, they're so lost that it is not beyond Your power and scope to be able to save. Lord, today it would be my joy. It would be my joy to see them saved, wondrously saved through the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be my joy to see them translated in the kingdom of God. It would, see my, it would be my joy to watch depression flee in the name of Jesus and them running toward the promises of God. It would be my joy to see them come into the everlasting love of God, to the call of God, and the purpose of God be realized for the first time. Lord, it would be my joy to see them saved. It would be my joy to watch You translate them into the kingdom of darkness. It would be my joy to watch the kingdom of God triumph over darkness and over hell itself. I have nothing but to want to gloat over the devil and say, you lost, you lost. Hell, you lost. Devil, you lost. Every one of these souls, because God is good and God is faithful. It would be my joy to see you glorified and another soul saved. It would be my joy to see somebody that's struggling with addiction be absolutely saved from it. God, it would be my joy to watch my father and mother come to Christ. God, it would be my joy to watch my children love you and serve you and radically love Jesus in this world. Do you understand? That's what Jesus was saying. He said, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full because it's connected to me. It's connected to me. So as we think of our Christmas season and, and, and the gifts under the tree don't even remotely compare to what we could be asking God for and what God wants to do in our lives. I am so looking forward to the end of this service and what the Holy Spirit will do for those of you who want to come forward and pray. For those of you who said, I'm so hungry for what the Lord wants to do. I'm so looking forward to what God wants to do in Willowa County. I have read the testimonies. I've read the revivals where the Spirit of God was over a community. Nobody was preaching out loud, so to speak, out in the streets. But they were nabbed by the power of God and brought in and gloriously saved by the Spirit of God. I'm trusting that as we pray and as we draw near to the Lord, as we satisfy that hunger and love for Jesus, our community is going to come under the power of God. Our community is going to be touched by the power of Jesus. I'm going to be more purified. I'm going to be a new man in Christ Jesus. You'll see me next week and you're like, Pastor, I don't recognize you. Your face looks the same, but you're a totally different man. The contrast is as vast as the difference between the joy that is fallible and the finite, and the finite joy a person, I'm sorry, the infallible joy that God can give and the finite person can conjure up. It's as vast as the difference of the joy that can come from us and the joy that comes from God. The lack of joy can have a base, can have basis. Sometimes I better put these right in my my, uh, notes here. The lack of joy can have no basis unless we are living on a substitute that has no foundation in our Christmas promise of Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. The lack of joy can have no basis unless we are living on a substitute that has no foundation in our Christmas promise of Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. Why do I get to shout? Not because I'm mad. I get to shout because I'm excited. I'm, I get to shout because I'm excited about the next level that God has for His people. I'm getting excited because I feel like the Holy Spirit has been stirring me over the last few weeks. The Holy Spirit is stirring me The Holy Spirit is stirring me with the sense of what good is compromise? What good is compromise in the light of the fullness of what can come to be as a result of what God's going to do? Brothers and sisters, I'm anticipating. Last week as I saw some of you, many of you come here to the front, and I'm just saying I'm anticipating. 
hungry hearts that said, Lord, all we want is a church. All we want is an abundant life church. We want to set, we want to see Willowa County set on fire. We want to see the lost saved. We want it. We hunger for it. We want to see your glory, God. And we cannot live satisfied any other way. We, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. I'm throwing off the restraints of everything that's depressing me in the moment. I'm throwing on the worries about my financial needs. I'm throwing away all of that because it's all a distraction from what you want me to be praying. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do as we seek Him together. As we hungrily, with a desire and a passion for God, just seek Him with all of our hearts. Why? Because we know that we can't do it at all. But we know that He can. And I'm looking for Jesus to satisfy His promises to us. Brothers and sisters, let's seek Him this this afternoon, probably by now. Let's seek Him with all of our heart. There's places in the world, please hear me, there are places in the world where they do not leave church all day long. There are places in the world where, as we talked about in our prayer time, where one hour wouldn't be sufficient. One hour wouldn't even be an appetizer for what they do on a normal given day. Persecution is real. The sufferings around them are difficult. And all they have, and they know that it's a wonder to have it, is that there is the mercy of God to supply them every day. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to be done here. We don't have to be done. We can sing until the lights go out. We can continue to give God all the praise we need. Why? Because we need the Lord. We need the Lord in our community. We need the Lord because somebody's going to commit suicide today if it's not for the Spirit of God. We need the Lord because somebody is going to do something they're going to regret for the rest of their life. There's going to be problems even in our community. We want to be praying, God, get a hold of our community. Jesus, pour out your Spirit in our lives. And I just believe this. I'm just humble enough to believe this. It's not going to be me doing it. It's going to be us doing it. We really believe God together. This is our war room, folks. This is our war room. And this is our war room. And I say it this way. I believe it this. It's not because we pray hard and we pray loud that God does it. It's because we pray hungrily that God does it. God does it not because He has to wait for us to pray. It's because He chooses to get us there. And our joy is going to be watching the Holy Spirit overflow into people's lives. I can't wait to see people saved. I can't wait to see them come to repentance. I can't wait to see what God's about to do. I just can't wait. So as we're, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give this altar to you. I'm going to give this time and this room to you to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to let you just pour out your spirit to God. Pour out your hearts to the Lord. I feel an anointing on this place. I feel an anointing in here. The Lord is here to meet us in our hunger. And I'm not guilting anybody. I'm just giving you permission and opportunity. This pastor is saying, go ahead. Go ahead. Make this day all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Father, I thank you right now, Lord, as I'm praying. Feel welcome to come as I'm praying. We're just going to worship you, Jesus. We're going to ask you to assist us with your presence. Father, we're going to pray for the supernatural today. Lord, I'm praying for the supernatural to bring miracles into this house. I'm praying for the supernatural to get a hold of this community while we're praying for the ungodly, for the lost right now. Lord, I trust you that you want to do amazing things. And Lord, it's our opportunity to talk to you. It's our opportunity to say, Father, we believe you at your promises. We believe that you're a faithful God and that you never end when you say, let there be and there was. Lord, I want to thank you, God, that you would fill this place full in the name of Jesus, full of those Abrahams that said we are fully persuaded that what you had promised 
We will not let you go day or night, Lord. We will see you, Father, fulfill your word. We will see you, Lord, matchlessly overwhelm us with the promises of God. Oh, church, let's worship him. Let's give him the praise. Let's shout his glory. Let's tell him he can do anything. We know that he is nothing is impossible for him. And we're just waiting to see him unfold his promises in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's worship him. Yeah. Just for me. I think. 
Jeffrey. Jeffrey was definitely here's registration. Oh, yeah. 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 Because usually they do um, uh, West County first. So, yeah. Yeah. you don't want what's going on to happen, you're not willing to walk 